Delirium is one of the most perplexing psychiatric findings in older adults. It's defined as a disturbance of attention and a change in cognition. It's important to distinguish it from other causes of altered mental status, like dementia. Delirium affects both cognition and a person's level of alertness, while dementia affects cognition but preserves consciousness. In this episode, we will shed some light on assessing and working up delirium in older adults. Welcome to the Carlet Psychiatry Podcast. This is another episode from the Geriatric Psychiatry Team. I'm Rehan Aziz, an Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Neurology at Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine in Nutley, New Jersey. I'm also the Associate Program Director for Geriatric Psychiatry at Jersey Shore University Medical Center in Neptune, New Jersey. And I'm Zachary Davis. I'm a Research Update Editor at Carlet Publishing and I'm currently applying to medical school over the 2022-2023 application cycle. We have some exciting news for you. You can now receive CME credit for listening to this episode and all episodes going forward on this feed. Follow the podcast CME subscription link in the show notes to get access to the CME post-test for this episode and future episodes. Let's begin by discussing how to accurately assess delirium in older adults. Dr. Aziz, what should clinicians be looking for during an assessment and how do we uncover the source of a delirious episode? First and foremost, it is important to get an idea of the time frame over which the symptoms developed. Being aware of the length of an episode of delirium can provide insight when choosing the next steps of treatment and uncovering the etiology of the episode. What I will do is speak with friends and family to get an idea of when and how the episode began. For patients in the hospital, I will talk with hospital staff, especially nurses, to get their input regarding the patient's symptoms and behavior, and I will review the medical record. So would a longer episode be considered a more critical or dangerous episode? It's actually hard to say. I think I get concerned when patients have an episode of delirium that's not resolving because it indicates that they may not do well in the long term, that unfortunately the confusion may not fully dissipate. If it's an episode that's been brought on acutely and rapidly, then I'm concerned for life-threatening causes like brain hemorrhages, metabolic disturbances, and so on. Okay, so clinicians should inquire about the time frame over which the symptoms develop, the length of an episode, and speak with friends and family. But what commonly causes delirium in older patients? Yeah, great question, Zach. So delirium is a relatively common cause of altered mental status, and it is always caused by an underlying medical condition. In some respects, it's actually not a mental health disorder, and it belongs more in the realm of internal medicine or primary care because medical conditions are always triggering it. Mental health clinicians are often called upon 
to assist in managing these patients because uh, many of them will have behavioral and psychological symptoms that require our expertise. In older adults, the most common causes are usually infections. So urinary tract infections, also known as bladder infections, or pneumonia. And most recently with the pandemic, uh, we're seeing high numbers of COVID-induced delirium. That's why it's important to identify the causes of delirium because correcting the cause is going to be the primary underlying treatment. That's why it's important to identify the primary cause of the delirium because correcting it is going to be the primary treatment. Okay, but there are many mental health clinicians that might not be responsible for treating core medical illnesses. What steps can they take? Yeah, so while mental health clinicians may not be responsible for treating core medical illnesses or even diagnosing them, we can review the workup that's been done to make sure that nothing has been forgotten. We can also review medication lists to make sure that there aren't any medications prescribed that could be worsening or contributing to the delirium. In the outpatient setting, uh, what I typically do is if I suspect a patient has delirium, is I will refer them immediately either to the emergency room or to their primary care doctor, depending upon the severity of the symptoms for further uh, assessment and testing. Should they also pay attention to risk factors? Definitely. The best treatment for delirium is prevention. Paying attention to risk factors can help prevent or shorten the course of delirium. Predisposing risk factors increase the risk of delirium while precipitating risk factors trigger delirium. You can refer to the contributing causes of delirium table in the transcript to learn more about risk factors and causes of delirium. Well, that's really helpful. I'll definitely check that out. Are there any other medical procedures or assessments that can help provide information toward the origin of a patient's altered mental status? We can learn a lot just by observing the patient. So watching them as they come into the exam room, watching them in the exam room. I would pay careful attention to the patient's head, eyes, and skin. Beginning with the head, we can look for signs of head trauma, which could suggest a hemorrhage or another injury that could be contributing to the confusion. There's something called battle sign. This is bruising behind the ear, and that can actually indicate a possible skull fracture. While looking at the eyes, I look at the pupil size. Small pupils can suggest opioid toxicity, and dilated pupils or widened pupils are seen with anticholinergic toxicity. And we know that anticholinergic medications can actually trigger or cause delirium. Bulging eyes can be a sign of hyperthyroidism, infection, or trauma. Some patients might have paralysis of outward eye movements, and that can be an indicator of Wernicke's encephalopathy, which is a complication of alcohol use disorder caused by thymine deficiency. And finally, yellowed eyes indicate liver failure due to increased levels of bilirubin, which can also trigger delirium. Lastly, I'd look at skin. Jaundice, again, yellowing of the skin suggests the presence of liver disease. Dry or rough skin is seen in hypothyroidism. Darkened or bronze skin can indicate Addison's disease. Also keep an eye out for drug patches. Some like fentanyl or scopolamine can also contribute to alter mental status.
All right, so just to quickly summarize, observing the length of an episode and the time frame over which the symptoms develop provides information regarding the time frame over which the symptoms develop. Paying attention to risk factors can help prevent or shorten the course of delirium. And a focused physical exam of the head, eyes, and skin can provide information about the origin of a patient's altered mental status. Can cognitive testing tell us anything about a patient's altered mental status? If so, what should clinicians look out for? So Zach, in assessing patients with delirium, cognitive testing is really critical in making that diagnosis and should always be done. Clinicians should look out for disorientation and impaired attention. Impaired attention is actually the hallmark of delirium. There are a couple of different ways to assess it. So one is by asking the patient to repeat the days of the week backwards, starting with Sunday, as well as to provide the specific day of the week. In one study, if both answers were incorrect, this screen had 93% sensitivity and 64% specificity in picking up delirium. Other tests that I'll administer are the mini mental status exam, the Montreal Cognitive Assessment, and a test that I really like called the 3D CAM, and CAM stands for Confusion Assessment Method. This test is available online and actually makes it very easy to assess for and diagnose delirium. Are there other psychiatric disorders that can also cause altered mental status? Yeah, so the big one is actually dementia, and it's important to be able to differentiate delirium from dementia. In delirium, what we're seeing is an active medical issue. I mentioned earlier bladder infections, pneumonia are top causes. We're seeing a disturbance that comes on rapidly. Dementia is a little bit different. Usually, dementia has a chronic progressive course. So it takes years to develop and progresses slowly over many years. Patients don't have an active medical cause of the dementia. And then the other hallmark I mentioned earlier was that in delirium, we see deficits in level of attention. In dementia, we don't see that. Usually, people have a clear level of consciousness, meaning that they're alert. Since delirium in older adults is often due to a combination of factors, how should providers best tailor their workups? That's a great question, Zach, and I'm glad that you asked it. First, you highlighted that delirium is often multifactorial. So we're not just looking for one cause, we're looking for multiple causes. So don't stop once you've come across the first thing that you think might be contributing to the patient's delirium. Keep looking for other causes. What I will do is systematically assess the patient from a medical and psychiatric lens, looking for active medical or psychiatric conditions that could be contributing to the delirium. I will then assess the patient's medications to see if there are any such as anticholinergic medications that could be causing their altered mental status. I will also review or discuss with the patient what over-the-counter products they're using because some can also contribute to confusion. Don't forget about substance use. Many of our older patients are starting to use substances at increased rates than previous generations, including cannabis. So I will 
ask patients about their substance use, as well as consult data from prescription drug monitoring programs, which tell us about what control substances a patient may be prescribed. Additionally, I will check drug levels and obtain alcohol and urine tox screens. So other than checking medication levels and obtaining alcohol and urine toxicology screens, are there any other specific labs you recommend ordering? So the standard workup includes checking a complete blood count, a basic metabolic panel, glucose, liver function tests, urine analysis and culture, urine toxicology and alcohol levels, vitamin B12, folate, and thyroid stimulating hormone. Okay, sounds good. Could you walk through each lab and talk about key features that clinicians should look out for? Sure, Zach. So let's start with the complete blood count. This is an assessment of the patient's hemoglobin hematocrit, white blood cells, and platelets. Elevated white blood cells can indicate an infection. But keep in mind, older adults may not always have an elevated white blood cell count when sick due to their age. The basic metabolic panel is an accounting of the patient's glucose, kidney function, and electrolytes like sodium. Sodium levels, either high levels or low levels, can contribute to delirium. So can calcium. So these are things we need to monitor for. Kidney dysfunction can also contribute to confusion by causing a buildup of toxic chemicals like urea. A glucose test helps you check immediately for hypoglycemia, meaning too little sugar, or hyperglycemia, meaning too much sugar. Hypoglycemia can be quickly reversed with orange juice and crackers, and sometimes, if that is the only cause of the delirium, result in rapid improvement of symptoms. In looking at liver function tests, I'll pay attention to the ammonia level and bilirubin levels. If either one is too high, they can contribute to the patient's confusion. Another critical test is urine analysis and culture, since urinary tract infections commonly cause delirium in older adults. On a urine analysis, we might see white blood cells and other abnormalities. The test will often automatically reflex to a culture, meaning that if the urine analysis suggests an infection, then it will be grown in a culture medium, which will tell us what specific bacteria has been detected and what antibiotics it's sensitive to. It's worth mentioning that many older adults will have asymptomatic urinary tract infections. The current thinking is that these do not contribute to delirium and are not necessarily treated. So we are only treating or recommending treatment for urinary tract infections that are associated with symptoms, such as increased urinary frequency, painful urination, and so on. Finally, be aware that when measuring thyroid stimulating hormone, also known as TSH, both hyper and hypothyroidism can cause altered mental status in older adults. Thanks for that breakdown. Besides the standard customary lab workup, are there any other tests you recommend ordering? 
In select cases, I might consider ordering a syphilis test. Syphilis, unfortunately, has been making a comeback. And each year, I'm seeing one or two positive cases of syphilis. Luckily, most strains are still susceptible to penicillin. I might also consider ordering HIV, um, an EKG, chest X-ray, anti-nuclear antibody test, a lumbar puncture, EEG, and or a head CAT scan or brain MRI based on the patient's presenting symptoms. So in this podcast, we discuss the time frame of delirium, predisposing and precipitating risk factors, differential diagnoses, labs, and how providers can use physical, neurological, and cognitive exams to learn about the origins of a patient's altered mental status. The newsletter Clinical Update is available for subscribers to read in the Carlet Geriatric Psychiatry Report. Hopefully people will check it out. Subscribers get print issues in the mail and email notifications when new issues are available on our website. Subscriptions also come with full access to all the articles on the website and CME credits. And everything from Carla Publishing is independently researched and produced. There's no funding from the pharmaceutical industry. Yes, the newsletters and books we produce depend entirely on reader support. There are no ads and our authors do not receive any industry funding. That helps us bring you unbiased information that you can trust. And don't forget, you can now earn CME credits for listening to our podcast episodes. Just click the link in the description to access the CME post test for this episode. And as always, thanks for listening and have a great day.